Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Susan Wingate. I am the host of Dialogue Between the Lines. And each week on Dialogue, we have either a fiction author or a, a, an, an agent who represents fiction or publishers who produce fiction stories. So um, we're all about fiction, fiction, fiction here on Dialogue. And um, Dialogue started with the thought that we wanted to pay it forward. And so every guest who comes on the show, it's a, it's a free spot. You just need, need to contact me, and you can find out all of that at my website at susanwingate.com. And I believe it says something like radio show or anyway, but um, you, you can find me on my website. Check it out, susanwingate.com. And you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter, and um, I'd love you to listen to all of the uh, uh, shows that we've had, or some of them at least. I think all of them would be like forever, a forever task since I've been doing this since 2010. That would be a long time. Um, but you know, we've had people like Scott Tarot on, and um, today's guest, Terry Persund, has been on, and uh, Bob Dagoni was on last week, and James Rawlins, and just a bunch of people, Deb Coletti, Debbie McComber. You know, it's been a lot of great authors with great advice for writers who are aspiring or writers who are, have been doing it for a while and need that big break. We've got lots of good, good advice. So um, uh, please listen to some of the past shows. I think you'll get a lot of um, great information from that. My um, guest today has been writing for quite a long time, and he's incredibly published and uh, well-established and has um, his next coming novel at several uh, publishers right now, and he's happy to talk about that, I'm sure, and, and I haven't talked to him for about a month, so things might have changed since then. But um, but Terry Persun has has been is best known as a as a uh, science fiction author, literary fiction, and fantasy. Um, he has uh, he has this interest in shamanism and um, and uh, uh, things that are all about engineering and and mechanical issues and how that could be created into character. So please welcome Terry Persan. You are on the air. Hi, Terry. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on the show again. Um, you, you've been on uh, a couple of times before, probably about, what, five, six times? Jesus, it probably has more. been that many times, yeah. A couple times with Nicole. Yeah, a couple times with Nicole, who is also an author. and She's a, a fantasy literary author, and her website is NicoleJPerson.com. And Person is spelled P-E-R-S-U-N. So it's Nicole J. Persson, and Terry Persson's uh, website is terryperson.com. That How's makes that? it easy, doesn't it? Doesn't it make it? <laughs> so All these the things last mean time, is that we're old. We've, we're old. We started out way long time ago. Nobody took that site, <laughs> so we had it. Yeah. And there are more than one Susan Wingates out there, and I got it. Darn it, I got that site. <laughs> that's that's how I look at it yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's everybody right. else we has are to old. use a dash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't have to use a dash anywhere. Oh, how sad. No dashes uh, in ours. That's how old we are. No. But that's how long we've been doing it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like I could be uh, could have been writing from you know the the birthing chair. 
I know, me too. Yeah, it's it's something you you kind of grow up with, isn't it? I think so. Um, and and you have last we talked, you had a novel at, uh, at least I think a couple of publishers who were looking at it. It's your latest novel. I know you're working on something right now as well, but um, I'm not sure if that's even close to being done. But the, your your latest novel that you completed what in like on uh, the fall, right? Um, that's yeah. at a at a couple publishers. Yeah, and it's still out. It's gotten a couple rejections, but not all of them. So it's out to like four or five or six different publishers still. Awesome. um, Yeah, so if anybody out there knows somebody at one of these publishers, let them know that (laughs) they need to to think seriously about this work. Yeah. But in the meantime, I've... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, in the meantime, I've completed another novel that I'm not quite happy with and I, I'm just sitting on for a while and then starting, I started another one, a third one, so I like to oh keep my busy. Gosh. We were just talking about this. Um, and we, in the pre-show, we were talking about how I, um, how I had promised my agent, which is a terrible thing to do, is to promise your agent something and then not deliver, but um, promised him that I would have it by the end of... Uh, or actually the middle of June, but I feel like I want to hold on to it for a little bit and work through a few issues that I feel make it thin if I were to hand it over right now. Um, So you're not happy with your most recent completed novel. You want to talk about why? I mean, I think think this is incredibly interesting for um, writers who are listening out there and readers as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me because I I do everything through emotion. You know, I, I have to feel it. So, And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, I write short stories and poems and novels and novellas, and I always can feel what it is before I start writing. And so I, I can just sense, and I don't know where any of that comes from. And so I, I use that same sense, if you will, when a novel's done, to know whether it's done or not. So, I, you know, you rewrite it and you rewrite it and all those kind of things, but eventually you have to stop and you have to kind of feel when it's time to stop. And this one just doesn't feel like it's quite there yet for some reason, and I'm not sure what that reason is, but I've gone through it now twice uh, besides the first draft, and I thought, you know what, maybe I need to sit on it and let it go for a little while, and then come back to it fresh and reread it and say, oh, that's what's going on. And I've done this before in the past, too. There are times when, for some reason, the novel just needs to sit alone. And I, I think it's weird. I think it's something has to do with I haven't experienced what I need to experience to understand what I need to write. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I haven't quite gotten there yet, which is wonderful in one sense because it means, to me, it means I'm always writing forward. I'm always trying to do more than what I'm capable of. And sometimes they match, you know, that by the time I get to the end of the novel, I've I've got all those experiences and I go back and I, like, fix everything. <laughs> Other times I have to wait. And this is one of the times when I just have to wait for for the right moment when 
whatever it, whatever it is I'm going to experience ends up back into that book. And isn't it interesting that we're both kind of going through the same thing with our novels, um, and I wonder how many other people out there have finished a novel and think, uh-oh, I just don't think it's ready. Um, I'm not there yet. This is, it needs more. Um, it was when I actually handed it off to the editor that I felt like all of the issues that I understood were missing were came came to the fore where I under I I thought oh that's what I need to do but it wasn't until I handed it over to somebody else who might have a critical eye or who does have a critical eye who might see see the holes I felt like there were holes and um and so I think there was a real um the letting go like you said letting go of it is key but also the responsibility of having written a full story or at least experiencing the full story as it should be was lacking, but I only realized that when I uh, passed it off because of yeah. someone else's critical eye, which was interesting, I thought, just to, to look back at how this whole thing happened because I was done it, you know, and I thought it was a thin novel at 45000 and then... Um, and then, but I didn't understand why until I gave it to somebody, and then it all yeah. went chunk, 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 chunk right into <laughs> it's it's neat little parts. No, you have to do this, 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 and this. I agree. It was I like think I, that's. It was like I was expecting a question of, you know, what about this? What about this from somebody else? Did you do you experience the same thing when you hand your work off? I do, I do often. Um, when it gets back, you know they'll have those questions, um, and it'll say, "I'm not, I'm not quite sure I understand why, you know, this guy did this or something like that." that that's just not perfect yet, and so I always get to look at that and say, "You know, I, I, I don't know if I know why, you know," <laughs> and then, yeah. and then have to um, maybe put in some backstory. Um, of course, not very much. I don't like doing a lot of backstory. Um, but, you know, just kind of adding what it is you need to add in order to get to that space where it makes sense. And sometimes it's often, not even sometimes, often it's a sentence that I, I didn't put in. It's a, yeah. an emotion that I missed or a, a short scene. Just something has to happen for it to feed into itself. But, yeah, I but that's why other people looking it over is really wonderful. Yeah. Well, and and that those questions I was it was like I was anticipating what might come from the editor uh, but I couldn't do that when it was on my desk. I ha- actually had to just let it go, send it away um with a pat on the ass and then say go and you're coming back but we're going to have a talk when you get back. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can go, but you're going to talk to me when you get back. That's funny. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, but well, you there know, was – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what I do, I read – I continually, over and over, read either the same books or different books on how to write. I've probably got 300 of them right now, and I continually – I just bought several this today. And I do this while I'm writing – because it 
continually reminds me, and I think that's part of that catching up that ha- happens, mm-hmm. that while I'm working on something, I'm also reading, once again, you know, um, Donald Moss's book, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, Orson Scott Card's book, or somebody else's book that somehow has information that I've read once or twice before, but hasn't sunk in quite yet. And while yeah. I'm working on the novel, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I see. And I kind of connect those two dots and move forward. So to me, whether it's going to a conference, because I do the same thing at conferences, you go to a conference, you take a class, um, you know, in your at your local bookstore, our local bookstore has classes all the time on writing, um, or I'm reading books on writing, all that kind of stuff around me helps me while I'm working on a piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about a couple of things while as you were talking. They, they struck chords in me um, when we were talking about a little bit about formatting and back backstory and um there's this uh there's this concept of how to format uh any scene um and 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 I'm when I talk about a scene I talk about a, a even even a sentence okay so when you talk about scene and it can be done it's 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 a lot of work to 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 think in sentences as scenes, but I think it's important. It's imperative for the writer to think in scenes as sentences. And there's this uh, concept in formatting as uh, the first part should be, and it should go in this order. This is the concept. Now, you know how concepts are. They're just out there. <laughs> They're just in bubbles out there. But I like it. I think it, it, it kind of hits the nail on the head for me anyway, um, that you should go in the A, B, C, or excuse me, A, B, hold on, I'm going to screw this up, A, B, (laughs) A, B, C, D, E format, um, but then it, action, Okay, this is really interesting radio, isn't it, right now? But the the acronym for the ABCDE is Action, Background, uh, Conflict, um, oh, dear, Development, and Ending. Okay, so those are the, but you flip the B. So you go Action, then Conflict, then Background, then Development, then um, Ending. So instead of having action and then background right following it right away it should be action and conflict then background then development then ending i like it you can do it with sentences you can do it with paragraphs you can do it of course with chapters but the the key is the conflict and you're talking about other people learning from other people i've got on my desk with me all the time is james scott bell's um how to write short stories and use them to further your writing career and he calls that conflict part, or at least part of the conflict, that shattering moment. So there's got to be a shattering moment. And he goes into detail. It's just a great read for anybody, even for novel writing. There needs to be a shattering moment, which I, I have agree. always that's, called. That's a, that's a good book, and it's a really small book. It's, it's a real small book, and it's filled with great information and actually um, like five great short stories to show, to depict, that shattering moment. Um, so this is this is fun for me. I love talking about the actual writing and and the process um, 
I think this is the the key to uh, the creativity is that we get excited about the writing and the formatting and all of this, and then and then all of a sudden there's a story on our desk that's complete. Yep. Wouldn't you agree? No. Yeah, I I do agree. It's wonderful. No, so it is. what was the what was the um, the D? I have the, D the is development. Conflict. Oh, it's okay. action, conflict. So this is the order in how you write it. Action, conflict, background, development, and then ending. And if you think about it, that's sort of how things happen, you know, or at least the reader needs to understand. It can't just go from action to background because that leaves a big, you know, jerk in the reader's uh, mind. It's like, uh, you know, you, you need to fill in some. So it's action, um, conflict. So you need to see that action and conflict very tight together, which drags the reader also into it because it's a kind of a hook. Then there's a background, so it's a slowing of action as well, and then development and ending. So I really like that. I think, think it works well for me, and that's that's um, I learned that from the Wesleyan um, uh, certificated course in creative writing. That's a, it's like a five and a half month course, um, uh, and it, it, it it's. It, I thought it was a great tool, you know, to have mm-hmm. in your backpack as a writer. I love all those things. I always keep things like that written down so I can look at them. Well, you know, it's like the hero's journey kind of thing. Not every book yeah. follows it perfectly or anything like that, but knowing it and having it sitting there next to you really helpful because at times you get to a point in a book and you go, Huh, what am I up to here? <laughs> and, yeah. And you look at those kinds of things or something as simple as this sounds, it's not so simple because I can sit down with a a paragraph or a, like you said a chapter and look at it and say, you know, I I didn't do enough of this in here or I messed up my order somehow. Um, you know, one of the things that I tend to do and be careful I have to be very careful of because I I like puzzles and I like figuring things out is that I figure it out midstream in in the middle of a novel and if my character's figured out in the middle of a novel my my novel's dead right <laughs> so, right so then all of a sudden it's like uh-oh they can't figure this out this quickly because that's what the book's about and right. so then I have to go back and say okay this is in the wrong order I can't have this happen and then that I have to have this other stuff happen first, and then I can make the the find. But that's right. what's wonderful about this. It's fun, you know. It's like a big <laughs> playground, isn't it? it? It's like yeah, a big old sandbox, and we're, yeah. and we're sifting through the sand every single day, um, trying to find that little gem, that little thing that's going to make the story just blossom. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's it's fun and I and I'm and I have on my desk also because I'm writing um, I've been writing thrillers for a while now and um, and I, I'm writing this one particular is an upmarket women's thriller that we've talked about before and um, so I wanted to have on my desk somebody that is very well known for upmarket upmarket women's thriller and that's Stieg Larson with all of his girl on a whatever you know not girl on a train but the girl who played with fire the girl with the dragon tattoo all of those and um and so when I'm writing and I feel like 
you know, is is this background or is this backstory? And how do I how do I make sure that I don't lose the reader while I'm including this? Because that's a you know, once they get bored, you're, they're going to put your book down. Period. Um, and right. I don't want that. Yeah. So I've been reading his and. Honestly, a lot of his background feels like backstory in certain places, but then as soon as you get that, and of course I'm talking as a, a professional in the industry, as a writer, um, as, as soon as you get that feeling, um, he moves into the current action. So he has, he has included a little bit of background before the action sometimes, um, so it's so that A B C D E uh, concept, where you're using A and C action and conflict first. He's doing okay, a little bit of background, then action, then conflict, then a little bit of background, then development, and then so he so it's more of a uh, it feels a little more literary um, when you're reading Larson's uh, girl series, um, oh, which is interesting because you can not only work these concepts to your benefit as in storytelling, but also for the genre of, of wherever your story will fit. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about this is that um, I was reading recently in one of the books I read that um, once somebody's familiar with the type of book you're writing, then you can play with all those factors and, and stretch them out and abuse them because the the reader still knows basically where they are mm-hmm. and will wait it out. And I find that kind of fascinating, too. Um, for example, um, in a mystery, um, instead of starting out with the murder, right, the usual um, somebody's found murdered, the detective comes in, the whole book is about how they figured it out, and then at the end of the book they figured it out, this is who, who did it and why they did it. Instead of doing that, if they start out with a huge section that's backstory or about the uh, detective's previous life or the the victim's you know life or whatever else, people will wait for that first murder and almost to to the point of saying, "You know what it's okay, I know it's going the murder's coming <laughs> you know they they expect this because it's that kind of a book. And so they anticipate that murder, and it's okay to have a big, huge front end. And it's the same thing that you're saying. So if Stig Larson has gotten us used to the way he works and what he's doing, and we know his type of book, then we're willing to wade through stuff we wouldn't normally be willing to wade through on another novel. Just to get to the action. And so what you're saying is there that our readers, our current readers, are um, they understand it. So there's a certain psychology to our to our readers, and they trust us. Yes. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. Yep. So you build that trust. And once you've built that trust in them, and you give them enough information that they say, okay, I know what kind of book this is. I know where, where this is going. Then they want to get there. Then it's okay to play. And you can do all kinds of things. Uh, as long as you don't abuse your reader, but you can always have a, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I, I I think that's what you're talking about. 
Um, yeah, and you know, I have another author friend. Um, we talk about this stuff all of the time. Her name is R.D. Larson, and um, R.D. Larson, and she uh, talks about this very thing as the contract between the reader and the writer. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, there you go. I love that. Yeah, I so do we too. Have this con- yeah. And it makes it oh. our responsibility to fulfill the contract. Right. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. So well, yep. you're right, because a contract implies that we're both responsible. Yes, and a contract also implies that someone will be charged, and that's the reader, that's the consumer of our books. So when they pay, even if it's 99 cents for an e-book, uh, you know, they're, they still have spent 99 cents. And you don't know their you know, their their uh, tax bracket. They could be right. spending their last 99 cents just to read your book, and that is a huge responsibility for us. So we better darn well have fulfilled our part of the contract when they spend their money. Yeah, so I really like it because it makes us more responsible, or at least it gives us the, um, the, the, the uh, onus of that responsibility to fulfill the contract. Yeah, I, I like that too. That Isn't that great? She's, yeah, mm-hmm. she's great. She's been doing this forever. Um, she writes uh, she writes things that are um, more like erotica, and uh, but she sells a ton of uh, short stories. She's a short story writer, and she just that's how she makes a living. Well, who does she sell short stories to? This is a great conversation because, yeah. you know, I, I, I write some short stories and I publish them in literary journals that don't mm-hmm. pay anything. And so right. well, how does she, she survive on short she stories? Sells them, she, sell, she has a publisher that does tons of short stories, obviously. Um, and uh, and she, uh, they, they, of course, they sell them and she gets royalties that way. But I, she's also self-published. And so she does a ton of, a, of, of you know, a pretty hot, even if they're not erotic, they're pretty hot. And so she's got this fan base of readers that love her work, and she sells a ton of short stories, That's and she's writing. Cool. It is very cool. And she writes, you know, every single day, all day long, and then she, um, yeah, but her name is R.D. Larson for anybody who reads that sort of thing. Um, and uh, And she's... I mean, doing great, doing great. So it's, it goes back to James Scott Bell's um, How to Write Short Stories and Use Them to Further Your Writing Career. He's talking furthering your writing career through this, and which brings me back, honestly, to um, thinking that I could leave my novel thin. I thought it was thin. And then write these other parts of it, uh, and, and more like characterization parts, and use them as short stories. But honestly, I didn't want to risk the novel's health by, you know, extracting story from it in order to do what James Scott Bell is doing. I mean, we can always do that. It doesn't matter. But I didn't want to leave a thin novel. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I find that sometimes when I... I write shorter pieces like that 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 you can you can start to see little little um gaps where you can expand it whether it's a little bit more 
um, meet to one of your subplots sometimes because yeah. I tend to I do that too. Sometimes I'll rush through a subplot because it's a subplot and it's right. like I want to get back to the story. And even though it has to do with the story, I don't give it enough um, of its own time. And I, when I rewrite, I can easily – well, I I add words when I rewrite, which is unusual, right, I think. A lot of people take them away. And so mm-hmm. there you go. So, you you know, I'll do a 70,000-word novel and end up with 85,000 words because my rewrite added meat to those subplots and maybe some – extra stuff to the main plot, you know, that I didn't quite see at the beginning. Um, Because you add to the subplot, you can see more restrictions and or limitations on your main character. You know, well, you know how it all fits together like some crazy, wonderful puzzle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it makes me wonder how um, somebody like Stieg Larsson works if he starts at the beginning and then just pushes through all the way to the end or if he stops short and fills in like you do and I do that as well I usually stop at about halfway uh, as far as word count goes at about halfway um, which is basically the bones of the story this is just uh, like an, an expanded outline sort of, if you want to think about it in terms of what I have when I get my first draft done. Um, and then I expand as well. So I write short, very short, and then I go back and fill in um, the the uh, other parts of it, the subplotting, the characterization, scene setting. I always leave scene setting for almost last because I think I need to know where the characters are moving by the time I get done with the story, then I go back and do my scene setting um, because I, I've been to where they are. I just have to get it in my head before it comes out onto the page. Um, this is such a fun yeah. job, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, that sounds like, uh, you know, Pam Binder. Um, yeah. That's similar to what she does. I believe she told me one time, too, that uh, most of her novels, I think when she starts out, are about half the size that they're yeah. going to end up being. And so, yeah, that's really interesting. I love how we all work differently and we all end up in the same place at the end. So yeah. tell me something. And say that again? I was going to say, tell me, um, so you've been writing similar kind of things for a while. Have you thought of going way outside of what you typically write? Well, I've done that before, and I love it. I mean, it's fun because it expands my knowledge. My, you know, I, 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 I think of myself in the future and think that I would be terribly, terribly sad if I were to only write a certain genre um, for far too long. Like, um, you know, if, like J.K. Rowling, she switched because I think for the same reason she just probably got kind of bored. I mean, granted, the money is fabulous, but, you know, she doesn't need money anymore. So I think that might have been a reason for her to shift into adult uh, fiction. So um, for that very reason, I get bored, I think, a little bit faster than (laughs) J.K. Rowling, um, which isn't either good or bad. It's just the way it is. 
and um, and I and I love testing different genres. I love testing voice. I love testing. So I will sit and work on like a short story and just play around with a different genre or a different voice or uh, or a different tense because I'm I normally write my stories in. Um, past tense, although Bobby's Diner, which was fabulously well-received, was um, in, in uh, first person, um, but it was, it was past tense, I believe it was past tense, except the, the first person part. You know, some of the first, it was multiple, um, actually, but um, the first person part was present tense. Um, and, you know, and, and again, here we go to what people say that you should or shouldn't do, um, don't have multiple uh, points of view. And I find that ridiculous given, um, given popular stories like Crash, which has several different points of view. Um, and uh, just, I mean, a variety. I read so much, and you get varying points of view in, in a single chapter sometimes. And it works, and the reader can follow. I mean, these people are readers. They're not idiots, so they understand, oh, this is part of the story. Oh, we're working. We're, now it's present tense. Ooh, what's going to happen now? I don't think it scares them or worries them in any way. But, um, but yeah, I, I like to play around with all of it and even switching genres. Um, but I have written quite a bit of different genres throughout my career as a writer i've done everything from ya to um to uh fantasy to you know literary fiction so um but and i know you're the same way you do the same thing for the same reason i think don't you get a little bit tired of one genre and just feel like oh i've got a switch yeah absolutely you know i i agree i think i've always been interested in a lot of things i'm very curious and so um, it doesn't matter to me. I I just love reading very eclectically all kinds of stuff. I did a class at one time, and I think I've only taught it once or twice on um, on tense and point of view, where I took fiction and I did this on purpose because I was curious fiction and nonfiction, and um, found things that were first-person, present tense, first-person, past tense, you know, third-person, present tense, and and Mm -hmm. all the, uh, including, um, you know, second-person, present tense, and past tense. And there are literally books on nonfiction and fiction, and all those written all those different ways. And so it breaks all the like you said, all those rules that we're always hearing and every time somebody says, well, don't do this, well, then that's the first thing I look for and see, well, who did do that and how well did they do it? Even my own work, um, you know, one of the big things in science fiction is to not write time travel stories unless you really have something different because so many people have done all the same stuff over and over again. And right. so in Revision 7 DNA, I wrote a time travel book where humans can't time travel because of our our thread of life, if you will, and yet robots can time travel because they don't have that thread of life. And so that the robots believe they're, they're closer to God than we are. For oh, that wow. Reason. And so... Part of what was going on in Revision 7 DNA is that concept that 
okay, here's time travel, but this is different than anybody else. And I've never read anybody else who did that, where everything else in time travel, the humans are time traveling, and whether they're going back to change the past or they're, they are going forward or they're doing something specific or they get lost or they find themselves or all that kind of stuff. It's always human-based. And so I decided, well, I can do this differently, and that's what I did. And those are the things that spark me to try these new and different things. Right. Um, you know, my novels, double-sight novels, they're, they're fantasy novels. There's no, there's no wizard in those books. It's all shamanism. It's all yeah. uh, totem animal type stuff. So I've taken it and said, you know, what else can be done? What, what hasn't been done yet very well? And so, yeah, it, that's the fun of it. And so being curious about everything is helpful because I read all these different things. I've probably read, wow, I have sitting on my shelf probably 35 books on shamanism wow. that I've read. It's well, you know, what's fun. interesting is that I was talking to Bob Degoni last week, and it's that what if he brought it up, that what if, what if this, then, you know, it's the if-then question. You know, um, if the sun rises, then it gets bright out. But what if it doesn't? What if, you know, or if the, if the sun rises, then everybody turns green and runs down into a hole that's a matrix of, another uh, set of life on earth you know what if that's those what if questions i think are key in our experimentation of writing and of, uh, ultimately of story um and also you you were talking about you know you wanted to so if something comes up and they say don't do this you want to you want to break that rule basically and that's something that's the that goes to the very heart of why we wrote that um uh, breaking the rules of fiction, you, uh, yes. your daughter Nicole and I wrote that together, and that, um, and we, and it was based on one of our workshops. Um, and you know, we wanted to really tell uh, people that were learning to write, or even established writers that were still concerned about you know certain tropes of writing um, that this isn't supposed to be done, and that is, you know. Um, that that's a bunch of hogwash and that, um, you know, if you do it right, if you understand why, then you can break it. But you have to be careful. You know, you can't just go willy-nilly breaking rules um, because you will lose the reader. But, um, but that goes, what you were talking about, Terry, goes directly to why we wrote that book together. Yeah, it does. And, and I, I love the fact that... Um, Having a philosophy, like you said, knowing why it works and why it doesn't work and when and how to use it, having that philosophy in your own work on why did I do this, why am I doing this instead of that, so that when you make that change, I believe that philosophy is behind the work. You don't have to tell anyone, but somehow they feel that, oh, this guy has a reason for doing this, as yeah. opposed to... Um, uh-oh, they screwed up, <laughs> right? right? Because that's right. the other other thing they think. And I talk, this same conversation comes up with poets, and you're, you write poetry also. And I was just having a conversation yesterday with another poet, and we were talking this very language that, you know, 
your line endings or your stanza breaks or your your word choice, all that kind of stuff has a purpose and a reason. And it goes back to what we started with, the A, C, B, D, E, that if you know that and that's behind what you do, you, nobody, you don't have to tell people this is what you're doing when you're right. writing. You just do it and they can feel that there's something stronger, a philosophy behind it, and that's what carries the work forward. Yeah, it carries the work forward, the character and the conflict carry the work forward into the rest of the background and the development and then the ending, and you don't even notice it. You know what? You were talking about time travel and how you wanted to do something completely different, something that really breaks the trope. And you know what? That's brave on your part because if you send something to an editor and you're breaking the trope of a certain genre, you're writing, your story is at risk, but it's also brave because because they might not, for one, pick it up because their readers expect a certain thing. But it's brave because you're saying, no, it can be done this way too, and your readers will love this story too. So I think it's a very brave thing. But when you were talking about time travel, that no one had done anything like it, and then I was thinking of time travel, and my favorite one is time is the flight, but it's really not time travel, is it? It's botched time travel. Which one is that? The Fly. Oh, yes. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the movie yeah. The Fly, I'm sure it was a yeah. book as well, but I saw it when it first came out years and years and years ago. And then, um, and then Jeff Goldblum uh, did a revision of it, uh, which was remarkable but horrifying. It was time travel, but botched time travel. So right. this, this is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, okay, what if? It's time travel, and I'm saying this is time travel, but then it goes all wrong. Yeah. You know, so that that's kind of fun. Those those concepts are uh, are fun to play with as writers, and um, and it's just so you know you know I I was writing before the show started, and I started at like 7:30 this morning, and before I knew it, it was 9:30, and I almost didn't get into the studio on time <laughs> so you get lost in story yeah. it, we you, we do get lost in story i was reading a, an essay or, or an article about um, michael crichton just recently oh yeah and they're you know in reading that and I, I don't remember if they said it explicitly but maybe they did but the whole fact that you know his whole thing was Here's the new technology. What could go wrong? You know, mm-hmm. so it's always um, everything. Yeah, and, and that's right. There's always this technology's um, bad side, and mm-hmm. I think that in a lot of books, that's what we do. We say, you know, this is a this could happen, but what would go wrong with that? And that's what throws the conflict in there right away. Right. As soon as you right. say. You know, what if this didn't work the way we thought it did? That's that what right. if, you know. So we have this technology, what if. I did the same, again, you know, and I hate to talk about my own books all the time, but that's what I'm most familiar with. But in The Killing Machine, it's nanotechnology gone yeah, bad. I love that, yeah. And so these are the kind of things that fascinate me. Um, yeah, even the Humanzy um, experiments is the same kind of thing. It's like, what happens if we can actually do this? What, 
what good or not good will come from it. It's just yeah. so fun. Well, and I think it gets back to the nature of writers that we first look for problems and then we look on how to solve problems. But we are very focused on problems that will arise from any situation. You go, I, that's where my eye goes and my mind immediately, if someone says, this happened and it could be, you know, uh, this girl was walking down the street. Oh, my gosh, there could be a problem there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then figure out what that is and then get her out of it. It goes to that uh, that uh, concept for playwriting. You, um, you introduce the character, you send him up a tree, you throw rocks at him while he's up a tree, and then you somehow get him down. Right. <laughs> I love That's that. Exactly. I love that. Yeah, me too. But this yeah. has been fascinating for me because I just love talking about writing with everybody, and especially you. We we have a we have we meet every once in a while online and and chit chat and uh, and talk about this very thing. So we're kind of get letting the uh, listener in on a on a little shard of what our normal conversations are like. I really appreciate you being on the show today, Terry. I know you're super super busy and and uh, writing. And thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's always so much fun. So, um, as you know, I love our conversations. Yeah, we we get into these deep, deep uh, publishing industry issues, and and writing, of course, is the core of that. So, it's the heart of publishing. So, it's always fun to talk with you too. Thank you again for being on the show. I'll uh, look forward to seeing your book published soon. I'm sure, hoping so. <laughs> yep. Me too. All right, you All take right. care. All right, Bye-bye. you too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You're, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Everybody, again, that was Terry Person, and you can find Terry at terryperson.com. His last name is spelled P-E-R-S-U-N.com, and you can find Terry on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find all of his books on his website as well as in all major online distributors and -and brick-and-mortar bookstores, too. Terry teaches um, quite a few workshops around the Pacific Northwest and also in Hawaii and across the uh, country to the east side. So um, look for him in, if you're interested in writing. Uh, he's a brilliant teacher. He also teaches, which is interesting in and of itself, a meditation class, which I can't wait to take some day, although I'd probably be trying to see what was going on, not really closing my eyes. Anyway, you find him anywhere that you want a book. He's everywhere, and he is prolific. He's got dozens of uh, books out. So, um, again, everybody, Terry Person, amazing sci-fi, fantasy, mystery, shamanistic kind of guy, um, and brilliant writer. He's won several literary awards and is an Amazon bestseller. And thank you all for listening again. And uh, I'll be back next Tuesday. So until then, bye-bye.